0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fireside Chat number 43. Uh, And today's topic is going to be from MVP to scalable product. And this is a topic that we were actually talking about it not that long ago. So last week, we were at DES, the Digital Enterprise Show in Malaya. We had a stand there, and we were asked to participate in some of the panels. And uh, we had quite a good conversation with one of our clients who's basically scaling up now a business that started as a, as sort of like an incubation program, you no know, MVP type of thing. And we thought that was pretty interesting, you know, product, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, uh, someone uh, in charge of innovation in a big corporation, or you're basically thinking about how to test your ideas. Uh, I think this is something that everyone needs to know about. No? So, uh, without further ado, let's, let's, well with one thing before that yeah. if you like the topic if you like uh this talks and so on remember this is unscripted we just pick a topic beforehand we'll discuss it and uh, if you want to know more figure out when we're going to be discussing more stuff just hit the notification subscribe and leave comments right we're, we're always happy to read them and you know if there's good topics bring them into the conversation as well right so without further ado let's let's jump into it and i think you know the title is from MVP to scalable product, and there's a lot of misconceptions around what an MVP is. You no, know? so maybe we should start there, and and give a brief, you know, definition. Let's say what we what we're talking about when we were discussing MVPs. Mesh, you, you are your <laughs> you're official, the official definition, <laughs> uh,
1: definition guy, right? So
2: uh, I, I don't like this stereotype of the definition <laughs> guy. <laughs> the stickler. <laughs> so, OK. All right. Let's start with the definition. Um, so this it's been a, a long time, actually, since I read A Lean Startup Eric Lease's book. Um, in fact, it was quite close to when we started Codurance, in fact. Uh and if anybody hasn't read it, I, I really recommend it. But I I am I think the idea comes from there, uh, of the MVP. And the, the thing is to do the minimum viable thing to validate your product idea, right? So in my personal view, it's different from a prototype. You are releasing a product, right? So from a from a customer's perspective, you are releasing a product. And it's not just to kind of try out something and experiment with it. It's actually... Release it in the market, get the feedback, and see if you need to build on it or pivot away from it to to try out a different business idea or related business idea. So it's kind of that uh, build, measure, and then then um, respond or learn. adopt. I, I'm yeah. not sure what the third. Build, part measure, is. learn. I think build, 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 build measure, learn. Build,
1: measure, learn. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So that that's kind of to create that that feedback loop. But the the idea is that you do actually create something that your customers use and from that usage, from that adoption, you learn and then you either build on it or, or you pivot away from, from that particular idea. So, So that's how I see a minimum viable product, the m- minimum thing you can do to validate your idea in the market.
0: One, one thing that I would add there is that people usually, when they think of MVPs, they, they think of a minimum set of features, no? or minimum marketable products, which is a, a, a different thing. So what is the thing that, what is the minimum product that you can take to market and people will actually pay for it and so on? This is not what we're talking about, right? So you could be validating a hypothesis that you have in your idea and that not be a fully fledged product. By any means, right? Like in actually, in many cases, in the you know the lean startup, uh, the, the lean startup book, and so on, like they they talk about a, sort of fa- a few strategies. You know? fake it until you make it. You now uh, the things that maybe you're validating some sort of recommendation engine or whatever. Well, if you don't have it at the beginning and you have something someone doing the recommendations manually, that's still a valid approach to validating the idea. It doesn't scale, which Bring us to and you know, it doesn't scale but it is a way to check no that that it works
1: yeah i think that there are uh teams or organizations they really need to understand what they're trying to achieve because i i, I see those those like for some mvp used in a very loosely way in so for example we mentioned here a few things uh validate an idea What is the size of that idea? So, Because you also mentioned was a minimum marketable product, if I'm not wrong. So in order to have a minimum marketable product, you are really at the beginning of your uh, development because you need to build potentially a set of features that together they will be the minimum viable product. There is also an understanding of, uh, so for example, one thing is to say, where are you in your stage? Are you trying to? You, do you are you starting completely from scratch, which means that you need to build a set of cohesive features very, very quickly, so that you have a cohesive product, the minimum viable product. Uh, or you already have a product, and you are just the MVP is about one of the features of your product. So those are slightly different modes, in my view. There are, the other thing that Mesh also mentioned was a prototype which for me is also a very different mindset as well, because prototype you are trying to validate if certain things are viable, not necessarily uh, from the commercial perspective. Quite often we use the prototype more to indicate, can we use those technologies together? Maybe we are creating this product, but this product uses some some AI, some whatever uh, blockchain or whatever technology you are trying to put together and just see if that would be viable. Uh, Mesh, I think you want to say something. I have more no, things to I, say. Because but, but... Like,
2: the viable word is also in minimum viable product. And I was thinking more about feasibility. Is it like, you know, I have an idea. I'm going to build it like this. Is it feasible? You know, it's it prototype. I, I completely agree. It's it's related to more. It's more related to the solution and not about mm-hmm. learning from from the market, mm-hmm. but learning whether we can do it. I mean. Obviously, and, these things are arbitrary, but that's how I normally see them. I, I would
0: add something more, where you know, I kind of stray a little bit from from what Sandra is saying. Is that for me, it has nothing to do with technology. It, it has to do with validating your business model, and sometimes you know, technology is a way to to do that. But let's say no, it, it would say that I want to start a business where you know people subscribe, uh, and I send them food. Uh, You know, a box full of fresh ingredients, you know, zero mile kind of thing with recipes and whatever. Well, of course, I could go and and build stuff and try to I could also go to a supermarket, get someone to sign, you know, and give me, you know, 20 uh, euros. Right. And go to their house (laughs) and deliver something and give them a recipe that I you know, I mean, like I did all of that manually. And what I'm what I'm for me, that would be an MVP. No, to but, to but, to this, but we are aligned. So, that yeah. that idea. And no, we,
1: we are aligned. I was just <laughs> trying to to, to uh, say, I said exactly that. Like MVP normally has a business connotation or trying to prove a business idea. When we are talking about prototyping, uh, as Mesh said, we are more talking about the feasibility of the solution. Can we actually create that? Can we actually use certain technologies to make that thing feasible? And, and, and the reason that I'm creating this distinction is because... The operating mode that the companies have and the kind of expectations that the sponsors have, they should be different in those things. Another thing is like the size of the MVPs, because some people wait for uh, the minimum viable product, but they are. For example, they, they have one MVP, and after that MVP, now they go straight to a scalable product. Other companies they have a sequence of MVPs, they're always doing MVP. Everything that they do is an MVP. Is one MVP being built on top of another MVP, which is the product. When they use this approach, the word product, the P becomes a small issue in there because like uh but but they treat like that, they treat one a sequence of MVPs. And there is another, sorry, there is just another one, if you want to, yeah, go no, on. No, no,
2: no, go for it, go for it, go for it, sorry.
1: No, uh, I was just trying to give a, a sense of all the many different types of modes that you can operate, because these will generate certain behaviors and expectations. There mm. is another one that is... Although some companies call them VP and sometimes they, they, they like to think about they're doing MVPs, that is a more design thinking approach that is slightly different. Quite often they already have a, a set of uh, clients. Let's say a B2B, for example. So a company already has a product, has already a few clients that are other companies. So they know their com- their clients well. And sometimes they have ideas for a feature. But this mode is very different from I'm opening a new market, which means doing user research is very complicated because I don't even know who my potential clients might be, from I already know who my potential clients are. And in this case, like instead of build, measure, and learn, you first learn, you go there, you speak to your clients, you propose their features, see their needs and stuff. So when you actually build the feature, you build the feature already with the purpose. So you are still innovating, you are still uh, experimenting new features, but you have more certainty of the usefulness or the, the how useful that feature would be because you, you you can trust your customers. And this is again, a very different m- mode of operating. And that is more aligned to the design thinking than and uh, uh, To lean startup. Lean
2: startup. Yes. I I I actually have an anecdote, and Sandro, you'll remember this, right? We used to when we uh, we used to run these hands-on sessions for uh, for the London software craftsmanship community. We we still run them, by the way, but not Sandro and I. We don't run them ourselves anymore. But one of the katas, one of the sessions we used to run was called the Lean Startup Kata, and it was absolutely enlightening because once we ran it I, I don't know if you remember but one of the pairs so you'd always the I way that you would so the way that this kata worked was that it it had a server and and you you would listen to, to it and then it would throw a question at you and you would answer that question and every time you answer the question right it gave you like three points, but if you answered it wrong, it gave you minus one, but if you didn't answer it, it gave you zero. So, so you, got, you kind of had this kind of uh, point system and there was a leaderboard. So everyone kind of hooked up to it and then it would throw random questions at you. And each time you would see the question, you would code your server so it would answer this question. And we found that one of the groups started always getting the que- question right, but they were not like moving up on the leaderboard so much. And then suddenly they started going up, but in a very consistent way. And then suddenly they started actually accelerating in the leader bit to the point where they were by far the winner. And then afterwards we asked them like, what was the, the Kata is called Lean Startup Kata, I think. We'll, we'll send a link as well if we, if we can. Um, and then... We asked the 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 pair like what was their strategy because obviously they won first of all and they kind of grew in a you know they and what they won by a big margin, and they said the first thing they started doing was, every time the question would come and this is the fake it till you make it thing, every time a question would come, all they did the first thing they said was you know what, we will read the the server we read the question and do a command prompt which would print the question, yeah, and right. you would answer it yourself. <laughs> so, so they had a breakpoint,
1: if I'm not wrong. Yeah. I think they had a breakpoint, and then they would answer. No, the no, break. no. It
2: wasn't the breakpoint. It was a read line. So it was a command prompt. Ah, oh,
1: right. So, I see. Yeah. so, so
2: basically, one would be basically what they're saying. It would prompt, and they would answer the question. Type, and then sort of, So one pair was all they were doing was reading the prompt answering the question, reading the prompt, answering the question. So the first thing they built was this manual ability, a very simple bit of feature. Take the question, stick it on the command line, wait for the user, uh, like one of the developers to to answer it. Then the second part, uh, what the the other pair, what they were doing was every time they would see, they would kind of hold it. So they would print it out and they would look at the question and they would hardcore the answer for that question. So it was like a key value thing, you know, Question, look up answer, question, look up answer. So then they built this thing where every time they would get it, they would put it in, you know, he would hard code it, but if it if it didn't find it would prompt and the other one would answer it. So they, they had this flow going where at every single point they were answering questions uh, uh, manually, but then automating it as they go along. And then the way I think the kata worked is that somehow you could work out some things and you could build more intelligence and you can, to the point where they got to the point where they didn't have to answer any questions because they had got all the different variations already. And then they just sat back and relaxed. Uh, And this is actually a very good lesson. And the kata teaches you quite well In, in, in the whole kind of lean startup mentality It's the whole kind of fake it until you make it because from a customer point of view, you're trying to validate the market. And as quickly and cheaply as you can validate, because this is back to the, the whole idea of uh, cost of delay versus reputational damage. right? Like Initially, when you're going to market, you might be one of the few ones going into market, and you are prioritizing the cost of delay issue. right? So you're getting there first. Even if you cannot scale, if you're like doing manual things and here and there, you're getting there first. You're kind of starting to service. You're building the customer, but you're learning about the customer as well. And then slowly, behind the scenes, you're actually doing this scaling aspect so, so that you can service more and more of the market as you learn more from the market. Basically.
1: So, so but uh, for me, this uh, it's important for, for companies to recognize uh, which mode they are on. But most importantly, for example, on the technical side, uh, it's, it's very important that we also understand that because, for example, if we are uh, working, I, I, I would say something now, but I, we may go back to it. But I think that MVP and the, the Lean Startup sometimes are a bit overrated. I'll just leave it at that. We can explore that later if you want. (laughs) I'll throw that bomb in (laughs) there. Exactly. But I think that MVP and in-startup is a bit overrated. So the the, the reason I, uh, for instance, one thing that is very important for the development team or the technology department to understand is if this is the operating mode from the business, that means this is what they want. Look, we're going to be throwing things out And we're going to measure and then we're going to learn and then keep evolving. You need to architect your system for that to work. This is not the same as just hack the code and write any shit in there just to be fast. Because this will only work. Like for example, just cut a lot of corners. This will only work to go fast for the the first, second, maybe third iteration of uh, push out there, measure and learn. But if you want to do that consistently, you cannot have something that is falling apart. You need to architect your system in a way that is very easy to experiment, but also to collect the data, to measure that. All of those things, they need to be architect. And some, sometimes I see people that don't understand that. They, they think that architecture only happens when you are scaling a product. No, no, you need to design your architecture in a way where those experiments are easy to make, and then you can get the actual a valid result, so that you can learn. But this doesn't come for free. This it doesn't come just hacking. See, so see what I'm saying? No, no so I, I
2: totally. And this is actually the difference I would say between a prototype and an MVP. A prototype, the intention is to validate and throw away. An MVP is not. That's not the intention. MVP methodology does not tell you on how well you build your system underneath. In fact how well you build your platform so that it allows you to build a flexible product on top and even the one that you can pivot on, right? MVP is more about the amount of effort you put in to take your idea to market. But it does not mean that you, you your engineering is shoddy to the point that everything that you've done that needs to be throw, thrown away to to build, um, to actually create the real product in the end. I, I but think there's, that's the a, there's a
0: constraint that I think both of you are, are ignoring, which is a lot of the times when you're doing, <laughs> you're going this way and you're a startup and you, you're trying to, you don't have any money, right? Like, or you don't have any resources at your disposal. I mean, some companies do. Yeah, for sure. And they they can invest uh, in in. Let's say using the right practices and the right tools and the right technology in order to make all of those things scalable later on, but at the same time easy to change and easy to you no. Know, uh, but getting software engineers with that uh, that set of skills or getting you know using the technologies will cost you money, right? But I,
2: and, I think I think Jose, that's a false dichotomy. A well engineered solution costing here. money. It depends how you build it. It depends on the solution. No, no.
0: What I'm I'm saying is, okay, it depends on how you build it, but you're talking from the point of view of you yourself validating a thing where you have all of this noise and you can do it yourself. But a lot of the times what I've seen is, you know, uh, a guy from a marketing background getting together with a guy from, you know, a sales background or whatever, and then trying to get shit done, right? And then they... Because they don't have a technical uh, partner or someone with that knowledge. They go outside and, and they are constrained by, uh, by this kind of stuff, right? So they, what, what I'm trying to say is there is a factor there that we are not considering. We're just assuming, a, a, at least in the conversations, like, yes, we could build it because we have the knowledge to do it. Why, why doesn't everyone? And the reality is not everyone has the knowledge no. or the resources in order to get someone with the knowledge to help them build this.
2: But the the thing is, again, this is like, if you follow the, the, like initially when you're building these kind of things, we're not saying that you over-engineer your solution or your platform, right? In In fact, building these things, relying on commodity stuff, gluing it all up together so that you can, the point is that you're not spending effort that then so much, you're minimizing the amount of effort that you then have to throw away. You're minimizing waste, right? So mm-hmm. if your solution is intelligent enough, where you are using commodity as much as you can, and just building those little bits that you can to just to try out that idea. In fact, you are talking about a very lean solution. You need to be as lean exactly. as you can. But being lean does not mean that you, you, you're you creating lots of effort that you're going to throw away. Being this precisely... Specifically-
0: I, I agree, but it also doesn't mean that you're building the thing from scratch. Like no, a lot of these things, no, you, no. you could just grab, you know, WordPress, put on some uh, plugins, and you can start selling exactly. beef jerky with sure. your yeah. friends. You know what sure. I mean? Like you, there's not a. Yeah.
1: But 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 it shows something that you can easily change without like destroying the house because this is the difference that we were uh, uh, making between a prototype and an MVP. Because like you are not just writing an MVP and throwing away every time that you learn. So for example, you cannot start from scratch in every iteration of your MVP. You need to push something else, you measure. But in order to measure, you need to design the system to actually measure. This is uh, to measure what you want. So this needs to be codified or architected in a way. It's like when we push that out, what do we want to learn from this? So this becomes a requirement from the, the solution. And when you learn, this is not the only learning that you're making. You don't do that that cycle once. This is what I was saying. Most companies, they mm-hmm. say, look, you're going to release one or two, three features. You're going to measure them. One might succeed. One maybe need to give a little bit more time. This one we need to change. So, But I cannot re- So for the one that needs to change, I cannot rebuild the other two. So for example, so that's what I'm saying. So you need to design your system. So you are still evolving a system and you are uh, uh, uh doing one mvp after another but you need to understand what are the, the places that i want that are more uh, it's not vulnerable what is the, the a similar word to the uh, vo- volatile what are the areas that are still more volatile that are the ones that are really experimenting but there but in order to be a product it need to have it needs to have some features that are stable because if everything is unstable then it is more a prototype than anything else. But you cannot, you cannot be rewriting the entire thing in every sprint. So this need you need to design for
0: that. There, there is a trade-off. Before you mentioned expectations as well, no, and this happens particularly when you have uh, stakeholders, no. Like if you're doing this as part of a, you know, an innovation lab, or you know, someone put money into it and they, they they're expecting, you know, some sort of returns on it, um, which is while you're validating, you you're uh, let's say the trade-off is speed of learning, right, and or uh, as Matt was saying as well, no the the cost of delay uh, to some extent, no. Uh, but once you get there, let's say once you go, by the way, this whole MVP and the startup thing builds on top of uh, another thing called the customer development process by, by state banks, right? Like the whole problem solution fit and product market fit, right? So when you are uh, going through that and you, you validated your solution and you kind of have a, a, an idea of how to, uh, if you have a, a business model that's sustainable and you want to scale, yeah, then whether you like it or not, the approach needs to be a bit different, right? Like, because speed then doesn't necessarily become the most uh, uh, important thing. It is still important, right? And you still want that agility and that ability to, to uh, do this MVPs and continue exploring and, and learning, right? Right quickly, but you also have a bunch of clients. Hopefully you have a bunch of clients that are already depending on your platform. So if something breaks or if it starts working or whatever, it's no longer, oh, nobody comes to the site. No, it's like maybe you have a lot of people who are depending on you and that could kill uh, uh, the business as well. Right. And this expectation management on, on speed versus, you know, stability of the, of the platform and so on, I think is, is also a mindset shift. For when you go from a, 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 an MVP or initial state of, of validation of the business model with technology into scaling that uh, technology or product, no. Uh,
2: so, so there is one thing: is does it have to be? And this is like it's more a thought experiment. Really, does it have to be speed versus scale? You know, can we can we not have like you you? you're always trying out new ideas, yeah? And certain ideas work and others don't. And, you know, you, you can have a series of MVPs. I mean, that's if you have a good innovative company or product, then you'd always be there. There's a set that you are solidifying and scaling up and other things that you are trying out, right? And do you have to have this the same approach to both? Can the
0: two not coexist within the same product? I I think you can, but again, in order to do that, from my perspective, if you're building the thing yourself, yeah, if you're building the thing yourself, you need to be building it with the right practices in mind from the beginning, right? So that you are able to have this, uh, the cost of change to be low and not to be something that is basically you know you're sacrificing speed because you want. Uh, change, and if you don't have that, and you know, do the the uh, uh well, what's what's the, forgot the the quote, right? Like, uh, uh do the the change easy, and then do the easy change. Make the change. Or, uh, easy make the change. Make the easy change. That that kind of approach, yeah, that XP etc. Uh, brings in. You need to be thinking that way, and you need to be making sure that anything that you do. Is sort of repeatable or very low effort to to repeat. This is why things like starting with automation, with infrastructure as code, et cetera, et cetera uh, and cloud providers like managed uh, services and so on is key. Because yes, it's a cost, but you are you're that cost is paying for itself. You no, know, in all of the time spent in, in managing or setting things up and and reconfiguring and and so on, right? But those things are the foundation to be able to get that agility. Right. From from my perspective, you do need those practices if you want to build something that is both flexible, agile and, you know, it and, can scale. And having, and it actually, can,
2: uh, and not just a platform, but having a good kind of build by partner strategy as well. Right. From yeah. the very start. Yeah. Because, you know, if you if you try to reinvent everything, it's going to be difficult to, you know, you're going to have a more complex software that's difficult and, to, and uh, to the,
0: and and as, as I said before, like a lot of the times the technology is a means to an end, right? Like it will help you validate the thing. You know, you can try your WordPress with a template first. And if, you know, if you have a business, then you can go and customize the template. And, you know, like basically the whole point of this is to de-risk your investment on on continuing in that direction no so the justification of what you've what you've learned is what justifies for you to continue investing but
1: see this is this is aligned to what i was saying so for example you are creating a simpler solution but it's a solution that was designed for example when you chose the wordpress and stuff you already know that i can start this way and if that works, I could evolve this this way uh, if I need to. But that was designed by that. So you chose to use WordPress for a reason so that if we need them to bring in that is separate enough, you can carve that out, you can bring the new piece. So there is a design that goes in there. There is some engineering. that there goes There is
2: an in evolution there. strategy. that you Exactly. You so yeah.
1: you are you are going for a simpler solution. We are going for something that needs to be done quickly. But, but you are not always, again, this is not a prototype, you're not always uh, keen to throw everything away, start throw from scratch. Yeah. So, so you have an evolution. And also there is a difference between aiming for scalability than aiming for the stability. And for me, those are very different things. So even when you are in the experimentation, things need to still remain stable because like, sometimes you're trying to bring in a new feature and stuff, and your system is always flaky, it's always full of errors. Sometimes some people will say, look, I'm not going to use this because it is a piece of crap. And it, they, they, they will not see the great idea if if it's not stable. It might it not scale because they don't need to scale. But at least it's, 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 it works. <laughs> That's what I mean.
0: This also goes back to who's your client and that kind of stuff. Because uh, another thing that comes uh, uh, hand in hand with the whole MVP uh, methodology, no, is the diffusion uh, of innovation uh, curve, right? And the whole uh, chasm, no, uh, at sixteen percent of adoption, where you have, you know, innovators, early adopters, then uh, 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 early majority. Uh, late majority and laggers, no, those those are kind of like the segments, and the people who are innovators and early adopters, they don't, care. they will help you build the product, they will tolerate this defects and so on, because you are really solving a problem that they needed to get solved, and they didn't find any. You are trying to, so they ha- they're happy to help you with that, but as soon as you want to jump. The, the chasm, no, and go into really scaling the product, which, by the way, when I say scale, it's also scaling the business, right? Um, that uh, early majority requires a different approach. They need to see the product differently, right? that They, they need to see it as a, you know, complete solution, like uh, things like who's using it uh, or, you know, is important, right? Like, hey, match is using or who's, you know, like. Uh, oh, this client—you know, this this other guy who's my competition—is using your product. Mm, maybe we should check it out. Maybe there's something in there. That that kind of social proof is all, becomes also very important, right? And if you start trying to, uh, let's say, scale or you know, th- this whole referral programs and so when your product is still crappy, uh, what you're doing is creating a negative effect on that, no? Because then people will tell other people how. You know how crappy or unreliable or whatever is is your easy thing. So it's it's very important to know uh, where you've reached that balance. No, where your product is more you know solves very well the the problem that you want to solve. Yeah, and it's stable and so on. And then you can continue moving in, into other areas. No, which is a common mistake. And well. you know you know while you're saying that one thing I was thinking is that your
2: um. Your your ability to pivot at what at the degree at which you pivot starts becoming less and less because as customers start relying on your product, you can't just pivot completely. Be, your kind of revolutions in pivot become evolutions. You know you kind of start stabilizing because if you pivot too much, you're gonna leave your your existing customer base basis behind. So you kind of reach a particular level. At that point, you you're not no longer throwing that away. But, but that is okay if you market.
0: are really. But that for me is okay if you are really going into a different. <laughs> no, like if you're going into the early majority and you start losing some of the uh, uh, Momentum, yeah. early adopters, mm-hmm. I think that's a that's okay, right? Like yeah. it's the same as you know the first people who bought an iPhone. They don't necessarily be still owning an iphone no they like, it may be too mainstream for them right like mm-hmm. this is this is the thing right so it, it is okay if there is that change as long as you're really moving in the right direction and you're you're scaling you know the changes yeah. do have a, a purpose there's another thing that uh, the um, in in this book it's called uh, crossing the chasm uh where it talks about the idea of the bowling alley and you know the 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 different segments and and uh Basically, where you where you focus in the market is kind of like a pin, like a, a bowling pin. And uh, you can be in a very good position to m- knock with, with one pin, knock other pins off, right? Like you, let's say you're focusing on, um, and on doctors in a particular, you know, segment on healthcare. And then, you know, from there, you could move to nurses or you could move to doctors in a different, you know, like th- there's... The, your product is not that far away, so that the jump is completely out of the ordinary. You can evolve into a segment that is, let's say, within the vicinity, and that's how you kind of, you know, as you conquer this segment, is when you when you cross the the chasm, no? When you when you get that traction that is good enough, so that you, the early majority and so on can can be interested in your product. No? Yeah. So, so. Um, Sorry,
1: gone, gone. No, no. I, I would change a little bit. I would just talk about. That's what the... I was gonna do. As well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So I would I would push for the 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 MVPs, and in startup is overrated. But like, I'm happy to go with whatever you had in mind. Man. No. No.
0: Okay. Well, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah why yeah, do you, Why it. do you think it's overrated? Let's say. Okay.
1: So, of course, that I don't have the the, the data. Tell us. Tell us.
0: We really. Want... Right. So,
1: of course, like. I don't have the, the, the concrete data. And I also cannot, like for people listening uh, before Codudence and many years ago, I tried a startup myself that was a project and I failed miserably. And I know that I don't want to make the uh, the mistake of taking my only experience and generalize as if it was the rule. So I, I, with all that, that caveat in place, mm-hmm. but but for example, I believe that I' can place, I'm going
0: to generalize., right <laughs> no, now. no no, no, no. no. Uh, because,
1: because like uh, uh, I, I also, like during that year that I tried a startup, it wasn't a product. I was hanging around a lot of startup groups in London. I met a lot of people trying to do the same things and stuff, right? So and over the years, even after, like for example, when we started Codius, we worked for some startups ourselves, and most of them don't exist today. And that's like precisely the point that I was trying to make. I believe that most of us would agree that the vast majority of startups don't survive their first year, right? So some people talk about 90% of them will fail, some people will vary a bit, but it's around that scale. One in 10, maybe even more, uh will succeed, or at least will survive the second year, and then a smaller percentage will actually become a business and survive beyond the second year. But the if first you make year get
0: pre- through the third year, then exactly. You're so so kind of safe.
1: <laughs> so, so so basically, like I, I don't know. Like I'm fingering the air because I don't remember the numbers by heart, but let's say like out of a hundred, maybe five to ten mm-hmm. might get to the third year, maybe even around five, maybe. Right. So when we look at those numbers, we can start asking ourselves what is wrong with that? Because, like, for example, this thing about Do the simplest thing could possibly work, push it out there, uh, experiment, measure and learn. This is not as cheap as people think. Because like, for example, maybe if you are in a B2C market, like business to consumer, those experiments, you are nobody, no one knows about your shit. So when you push it out there, it's not that it's going to have like a thousand people using your stuff in the first week, and you can measure and say, look, I have enough information to now make bigger decisions and change. So This takes a long time, which you see is is a horrible business to be if you don't have very, very deep pockets, because you will be in this this cycle of release, measure, learn, and so on and so forth. This will go on forever Mm -hmm. because those experiments are not so fast, mainly because no one knows your stuff, right? So if you don't know your customers. So this is the problem that people think that this is a good idea, that is easier. But this is not as simple. This is what I'm saying is overrated. Of course, it would not help. It would not change the fact that if you try to even make it even worse, that is thinking about scalability in that scenario, it would make it just even worse, you just like have much larger cycles. But what I'm trying to say is this thing about just push out there, measure and learn. It sounds very simple, but it's a very inefficient way to start a business because the chances of you succeeding is very, very small. Just a few people that can do that continuously and putting a lot of money for a long time or are really, really building something extremely unique or solving a problem that is very niche. The chance of surviving in that industry is tiny. I prefer the more uh, design thinking you say like, you know what, instead of me pushing stuff out, I will speak to a few potential clients. I'll see if I can get those clients. Even before I start pushing stuff up and learn, I will learn first. I'll go out there. This is the mistake that I made because I I was doing B2C. And then later on, when I was almost dying, I pivoted that to to B2B. And, And that model is much easier to say, look, you know what, I'm going to try to learn first because I don't have deep pockets. I cannot keep this going forever, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of the size of my iterations. So I would do some learning first and making sure that I can get to something being used and generating uh, profit as fast as possible. But that's what I'm saying. A lot of people trying this model. Ah, we're going to push stuff out and learn. They rely, that's why they need to go and ask for funding.
2: A, but I'm not sure I, Lean I, Startup I, is like that, to be honest. Exactly. <laughs> but this <laughs> is what people say, it. like, it's a rate about...
1: fast, push, measure and mm. learn. No, but mm.
2: it's, it is actually, it's, you, you create hypotheses, you recite the market, you do all the market research and everything else, you then create a bet that this thing after my research, and so there is, Lean Startup I don't think excludes the, some of the stuff that design
0: thinking has. On, right. on the contrary, it actually, yeah. uh, it, so, so just this is where I see them. You're, you're talking about Lean Startup as just the, you know, I'm going to build something, going to try it out, and then going to learn from that. That is a very small part, yeah, of what the Lean Startup is trying to accomplish. Again, as I have said before, this builds on something called the customer development uh, model. And the, uh, if you know, Steve Bang has a book called Four Steps to Epiphany, where he describes, you know, what are those four steps? Uh, you know, first you have something called Problem Solution Fit, which is basically I validate that there is a problem strong enough that people want to get sold. Yeah. And I have a solution that is good enough so that people will be able to pay for that. Then you move to the next stage. By the way, when you're validating that, I used to do problem interviews and solution interviews. So basically, I would go to people, do almost like a UX research interview to understand, you know, what the context, how they use it, where they, you know, like what are my competitors, like all of that stuff. Like you, it's all without building anything. And this is for me part of that MVP mindset that I was talking about. It's not just technology. Yeah, it's the it's the learning. Like build my language Like what it? create a form, go grab some people on the street or whatever on the street or or whatever i need to you know and and get that so that's that's the first part then there's the second part which is the uh uh, product market fit which is okay i I know that i have a solution can i build a business around it is there a model that will allow me to uh, sustain a this thing right like Will people pay for my subscription? Am I the right place that for me to make money or, or not? And so on, what is the volume? Like, like all of the stuff. And you're also validating at this point uh, that you have uh, repeatable channels, right? That you know who your customer is, et cetera, et cetera. So you're able to basically say, if I put money in this thing, yeah, I know that I'm going to get X amount because I will grow, you know, Putting it into marketing because for every uh, ten those that I that I put in, I get X amount back, right? That kind of that's what you're trying to do on that on that. And then there's scaling, which is when you after you solve that. If you're doing this properly, then you go and find funding because then you need the money for sure. Then, then is when you say, okay, now I want to open in Spain, in Portugal, in France, in, and I have, I now have a repeatable model, you no, know, that only needs money in order to to make that happen. Yeah. So again, there's a misconception there. It, it talks about there's also lots of tools like uh, validation boards or uh, the link canvas and, and and the business model canvas, all, like all of these those they're basically, you know, what are the questions that you need to answer around your business model in order to do that? And the thing is, for me, answering those questions is doing MVPs. Yeah, like is, is okay, so I want to check that I have a repeatable channel and or that this a customer uh, that I think has this problem, etc. What is the minimum thing that I need to do in order to... Mm-hmm. to validate
1: that Uh, i I, I take that but i think that the uh, and i take that uh the point that was made also making is like this is not so cheap this is not something that you do because all those research like it's not just i'm gonna go out in my neighborhood and i'm gonna ask what people think this is not good enough to justify uh a full initiative unless that you are doing something for your neighborhood right so but then uh, for example for me every time that you write put some technology together and you experiment and you learn, there is a cost to that. Of course, there is a learning, but then you iterate. So for example, if that was not what's gonna sustain your business, you need to iterate again. There is another cost in that. So for example, what we see in a lot of startups, you you mentioned already, they start something and the first thing that they need to do, look for funding. So when I was in the startup circles, like so the vast majority of people, their business plan relied, like, I, I swear, like out of 100 people, probably at least 90 would rely on, on funding to get their ideas off the ground. And this is for me, is already a problem with model. It's already a problem. Oh, we are going to try. We're going to see if it works, if it doesn't work we we'll change and stuff. With which money? With someone else's money until you find the formula. And this is sometimes I find that. Those ideas, and, and I was in that boat myself, are not sustainable. They, they failed on thinking about the business model, something that would actually bring money to their company, that would make their company sustainable. Uh, and most of them were software initiatives, which the investment is far smaller than having a warehouse, building a factory, or stuff like that. And, and so this is what I'm saying. That
0: uh, I, 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 I understand what you mean. Uh, and I would say yes, to some extent, yes. So, so the expectations in the, uh, let's call it, venture capital world when it comes to startups, no, is that first is the three Fs, friends, family, and fools. Yeah, so you will put your own money, yeah? You will get people around you to put money on that, and then there will be people who, will, no, uh, that's, that's kind of like... never like, I never it heard, the I never heard
1: about the... Fr- Friend, Friends, family, family. And food, exactly. That's that's the first
0: round, and like then that. you have angel investors, right? And groups of angel investors, and which is seed capital, which is things like you know I'm going to put 60k uh in your project, yeah. So I have money, you know, you 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 know there, these incubators and all of this. Project or, or groups with with angel uh, investors, right? Basically, what they do is they search for opportunities, they present those opportunities to their investors, and investors decide whether to put money or not. So that will be a, a first round of, of investment. Yeah, it could be I don't know, 200k. Yeah, 200k for someone who's eating ramen and sleeping at the office. You know what I mean? Like that can last a very long time. So it. So again, it's, it's this mindset of how do you make the most with the least amount of, of resources, right? And having that runway, you know, to, to either as much as possible and to learn until you get to a point where you start, you know, figuring it out, no, like you, you actually start making money and then, you know, you can build on top of that. And then if you need that, then you move to the next one and you know, to the next one. And so, on, right. <laughs> and this is what they call like the, the hockey, po- the ho- hockey puck stick, uh, figure, right? Like, you, that ramp where you're like hey you know I'm getting customers uh, look it's going up it's good what I really need now is, you know is money to to be able to you know make that thing shoot up yeah so so so, so yeah.
1: there, there is like I, I get that I think that, the, 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 I think that we can because we don't we are running out of time but like uh so those different modes without going too much on on details on these ones they set I think what is important for people listening Understanding this context set certain expectations for the development teams, the way the developers will work in that context will be significantly different, right? So according to the stage that the company is, how they're doing the experimentation, how the approach is being funded as well. And one thing that we haven't talked about is that the the Lean Startup, because I read the book myself a long time ago, maybe I had forgotten parts of it. But one thing that I remember seeing that you could also apply the same principle in a very large organization it's not only for people uh, working from their uh, bedroom uh you like we can have large organizations still applying the same concept and trying to push some some products or some innovations in their departments using the the concept of lean startup and 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 that is for me but normally with the way they go about that tend to be a bit different uh
0: yeah so this is another thing right like you you have that because everything that we talked about is related to culture, right? Even the practices and, and this kind of mindset and all that. And I feel like that's one of the aspects that is harder to maintain with scale and especially well, with scale. And when you're trying to innovate within a culture that is already not like that, right? Like, like if you're part of an, of an incubator inside a, a corporate or something like that. Uh, there's a lot of friction in in culture uh, itself because as you grow when it's three people collaboration happens you know you have four conversations you you get it done everyone knows what to do it so that when it's 10 hmm when it's 50 problems simply start multiplying and collaboration is not the same and, and so on so how do you manage to get that same culture or, or, or mindset or collaboration as you are scaling your business which given, you know, if you're doing a product, might not necessarily need to scale like that, but in the case of a service like ours or something like that, it does need more people, no, in order to... A devil's
1: advocate question. Should the culture be the same? Because you are in a completely different context now. Should we keep the same uh, culture? I would
0: say that there are certain things about the culture that you don't want to lose because they are an advantage uh, to you. And... The certain things and again this goes back to early maps and a, a lot of this stuff no it's like customer centricity so if you don't if you really want to you need to keep the customer at the center the minute that you start thinking about something else yeah you you're on your way out the door for someone to some someone else to to get the lead yeah uh, there is the experimentation aspect which i think is super important as well and it gets lost yeah. Uh, and the collaboration aspect so that a uh, go and see kind of uh, mindset you know or, or founder mentality within the organization i think is necessary the minute that you you know that's not there anymore people start focusing on on other stuff
2: the, the larger larger organization as organizations grow they become they often become more and more centralized and you you know you get and siloed as well right and I, I think it was in the Lean Startup book that they talk about, like almost like a, a company made up of startups, right? So you've got these much smaller departments that are very close to, to the customer, right? And I, it's it's easier said than done. I think it's a very good thing to to try to keep, but it's, it's easier said than done. You know, a lot of the times the the fact that it's a much larger organization already starts building these central central structures. And suddenly you're no longer, you, you can't be a, a company just made up of startups because a company has a direction in itself. Right. And so, the you know, it has its own mo- momentum. It has, you know, so you unless you, you go very much kind of a very organic style of management, and I've not seen many companies adopt that style, they do become centralized. And as soon as they become centralized, they do a lot of the major parts of it become distant from the from the customer as
1: well. And so, they need to stabilize, right, Mesh? Because like, for example, the, one of the whole points of all these uh, pivoting that you have at the beginning is to actually find you, the identity of your product and your target market, right? So, okay, now I know what those people want. That That's the kind of problem that my, my product will satisfy. And once you found that, you cannot just, now that you are be, building a, a base of clients that rely on your products on a daily basis and stuff, and all of a sudden say, oh, I'm going to pivot, I'm going to do something else. So it cannot be like that. So the, the degree of experiments, they, they, they are now much smaller compared to the software that you have. you don't ex- you don't pivot the entire software. you might experiment with a few features, a few add-ons that you might bring, maybe create a, a wider ecosystem around your software. but you cannot just like do the kind of things that you had uh, at the beginning because you need the stability the stability for your own clients. See, see,
2: see I'm I, 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 and and you can achieve innovation in different ways as well. And, and most companies don't get it right. You know, like if you look at things like, for example, the likes of Google, right? Why do they have to acquire or Facebook? Why why do they have to acquire innovative companies? Why can't they do innovation themselves? Right. And, and often primarily is this inertia being... Being successful in a particular market in itself can be a curse because you are now stabilized, trying to serve that market, and you you've scaled it. And I think you have to. There is a compromise that you made internally in your culture because you're now facing up to scale rather than this constant uh, kind of primordial soup of innovation. Right? So so there is something has to give within the organization. You can't be that startup anymore or a startup of startups. you have to have certain uh, structures built in to, to be able to scale. But on the other hand, other companies still manage innovation quite well, right? They can they can still create parts of organization that are actually creating doing this kind of quick, feedback trying out new things and so on and other parts that are actually scaling up to and st- stabilizing the market that they they currently have yeah. but not not often and, and not for for a long time i mean people like apple come to mind but even they haven't they you know you can already see that you know, innovation has stopped and it's just an incremental improvements on what they already
1: have. No, well, but they build the ecosystem. This is what I was saying, because like at the very beginning, this is why I say that, of course, there are aspects of your culture that you want to keep, but it cannot be exactly the same culture because you are in a very different context with different priorities as well. At the beginning, we are just trying to survive. You need to find your niche. You need to find what you're trying to do. You don't even know who your customers are or what they want. If you are able to survive that 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 phase, you now are in a space where you know who your current clients are. You know what your product is about. So the innovation, as I said, like for example, we work for a few product companies. So there is uh, some some innovation that they do in the product themselves. They tend to be smaller compared to big innovations, but they are always evolving their products, but there are different ways of innovating. For example, some of our, uh, our clients or companies that we worked for, they start create an ecosystem. They provide integrations. They, they enrich not only the product itself, but everything that is around that product. And sometimes when they want, they really have a very different idea that is not related to the product. They would not pivot that product. A lot of companies, what they do, they start something internally, and they spin off a new company. And then they have this new company now doing something else. This is a very different thing to do. Uh, but with the, the innovative thing is still can exist, but it needs to be placed in a context because otherwise you're going to destroy the, the market share that you actually bought. And
0: And this is, this is very common as well, that uh, people try to, let's say, uh, get that innovation by for instance, buying uh, another company, right? And then they they assimilate that company and kill all of that innovation, innovation. <laughs> yeah. exactly, and yeah. basically destroying their, their full investment, no? Yeah. Uh, on 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 that. Well, not necessarily. They may be interested in uh, you know IPs and other stuff, not, not really in keeping the business. Around. But if you are interested in what they're doing and keeping that innovation, then integrating uh, is is kind of like. Uh, the death of it, no, because the the bigger culture will always eat the the smaller uh, culture, right? Uh, but you're you're right. There's actually an article uh, from the Harvard Business Review, Sandra, that describes precisely that. What kind of strategies you can follow to to innovate? And they talked about you know uh, spinning up a, a different company. They talked about uh, you know SEAL Team Six kind of approach, like bring people from all of the departments, put them together in a room, and and let them know. They they talked about innovating within a particular space, so incremental innovation within the. So there are many. Uh, aspects to, to that, that they discuss, and it's precisely what you're saying, right? It really depends on what it is, what type of innovation you're trying to achieve, no? Um, and in what context that needs to have in order to be successful. Yeah?
1: There, there is just one I know that we are running out of time. There is one question from German about have you experienced second system syndrome, uh, from MVP to a 1.0 version, and then the second. Uh, the 2.0 version is a nightmare. Uh, I believe that we've seen uh, some things like that. <laughs> I would say that most people don't go from one version to another, they are not failing before that.
2: Um, well, we've seen 1.2, but... 2.0, and 3.0, and <laughs> 1.0 is still
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a slightly different uh, anecdote. Like, uh, Because, for example, we were talking about going from MVP to to scalable products. And some companies, like, they really get excited about the success of their MVP. And they end up giving, like, I don't know what the the, the saying in English is, but, like, in Portuguese, we say, like, you give your step that is bigger than your legs. But that's kind of, I don't know if there is an equivalent in English for that. But basically, like, we were working with this uh, startup that goes back quite a few years, they were one of the first not unicorns because they never made it but they were at some point the the most well funded startup in the uk they were in the music industry and 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 we started working with them when they were 12 people and and they had this idea to do a lot of to revolutionize to disrupt the music industry right and it was a, for us working with them on the technology and helping to build the platform it was a fantastic experience but this is what happened they were a very very small company with some very good ideas and we could work with them at the beginning iterate very fast as they they created excitement in the initial mvp that was built but the mvp was more of a prototype than an actual mvp because then the, the, the thing was not live right so so i would treat that as more of a prototype than anything else so a lot of excitement was created on that, not only in the UK, but in the US. All of a sudden, like in a space of 18 months, they went from 12 people to 300. And, and they had offices in London. They had an, a, a beautiful office in uh, Los Angeles. They had like loads of other things and stuff. And they created this big bus. They were everywhere. Everyone was talking about, but they still didn't have... The, the, the version one actually released. And then, but the, the development team, like the technology bit, uh, say, look, when we go, I remember those conversations. They say, look, this is an industry that either you have a lot of money to break into or you don't even try because it's, it's a crowded industry, so you need a lot of investment. So they changed that money. They got that money and they poured all that money in all sorts of stuff, in marketing, offices, and technology. I remember that we were building like a huge platform to scale to millions of people before they even have the first version out. And that's a, 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 And then what happened? They ran out of money. They lost credibility. The whole thing went tits up. So so. Uh, and then I remember they even convinced the investors that the big bang is the right
2: approach because there were a exactly. lot of voices, including our own, to say like try, go for the lean, lean Let's startup go approach, life. and they Let's were, like, you know, the investors will kill us if we did that, if we created something subpar that, you know, but in the end, yes, they, and that was a, actually a prototype, it was like listening to Jose, you know, the only people that were using the original thing that they got the big, big funding from was the Family, Friends and Fools. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> And they went from nothing to a big thing to nothing in a space of two years. And this is what I was saying, that uh, it's important for us to understand, to do the experiments, but we need just to build, that the platform should just be built to support the experiments. Yeah. But for some some companies try to scale way too fast. and I, And I've seen that before they had some initial feedback some likes and some some votes and then they they go crazy in the scaling so so this should be gradual the,
0: right. there is a lot of speculation as well in this by the way uh so it's about you know <laughs> who's the the last one who's going to be Holding the hot potato, basically, right? The, I yeah. talked about the investing, you know, seed investors, and all that stuff, right? Like for me, it's a pyramid scheme. Seriously, seriously, exactly. Like especially if you if you do it that way, right? Like if you do it without having something solid, yeah, on which you're building, uh, that's. That's the that's the thing and so, solid
2: in terms of ideas, not like platforms. They
0: theoretically they had a no, very no, solid exactly. platform I, I, to scale. Not but, even but... ideas. I'm talking about business model. <laughs> business model <laughs> I'm talking exactly. about business model, tried and true <laughs> yeah. business model I can yes. make money with this, right? It's a matter yeah. of you know tweaking and scaling and, and so on, right? Yeah. And a lot of people don't don't have that. And uh, there there's uh, I was watching not that long ago, an interview from a, a Spanish guy. They have this—I uh, don't remember what it what it's called. They have this loots uh, thing on Twitch. Uh, they're they're a startup. Uh, they're they're doing quite well. This guy started uh, the company. They went to a Y Combinator in in the U.S. Uh, came back. Um, you know raised money etc. so that they're, they're doing fine now but one of the things that the guy said is like once you launch things become really hard because now you have numbers before you're selling kind of like an idea No, this is what it could be like this, here's the million yeah. you know, yeah. the the 100 return on the whatever it is but once you're there and you have users and you have clients, that data is the, the one people going to be that
2: could people. be a bit for come down isn't it <laughs> exactly exactly
0: no then it's like then it's like okay, then you need to, to hit this milestone in order to get this you know unlock this funding and so on and so forth right so it is a, you know for, for speculation it is better not to have released <laughs> no than if That's you actually try to Yes, first regulation is, is uh, better. No, not to have release than to actually have release and get that data and that. So again, it's a, if you're really trying to build a business, so one of the things I was is like, why are you doing it? No, if you're really trying to build a, a, a business, you want to go for that lean startup kind of approach, customer development. You validate, get out of the building. No, the mantra is get, get out of the building, try it out, see what, no, and then uh, build on top of that. If not, then, you know, create some good PowerPoint presentations, you know, hire a good designer to do the, <laughs> the brand and the, right? And then go around shopping, <laughs> you know, for an investor. It, you just need to be a really good salesperson, right? Sell, sell an idea, paint, paint a picture. Um, <laughs> it's, it is what it is. Cool. Yeah. So we're on the five-minute mark. Yeah, I guess this is the time for last words, <laughs> no, or last topics. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so uh, I think that, like for me, that the takeaways uh, for this conversation for me is like lean startup is not just like do something, push it out, and uh, try to learn something. Like as as you were saying, Jose, like that is is far more than that. Like you really need to think about the business. You should, really trying to to see what you are trying to achieve when you create those experiments, you need to find a proper way to measure them. So the, for me, like uh, you also need to adjust the, the technology, the infrastructure so that it supports the volatility or the speed of those learnings. So there is a difference between scaling and having it stable. I think that while you are experimenting, it still needs to be, stable it still needs to be usable it doesn't need to scale but it still needs to work uh somehow and also i think that there is uh for a lot of people that watch us like there are software craft people they, they love the the craft and 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 making do things well and with quality and stuff you need to calibrate your expectations or understand which kind of context that you are in so that you are still doing things with quality You're still doing things uh that are fit for purpose, but we need to understand the context. So within that context, you need to do your best, but you cannot just try to create the best ever platform, everything perfect, if that's not what the context needs. So those are some of my takeaways.
2: My, my takeaway would be that, you know, software, building software is an expensive business, so avoid it as much as you can. <laughs> and so if you can validate your ideas with, you know, creating a command prompt and just answering the question, do that. And do use other software and as much as you can. And, you know, again, validate the ideas because this will help you move faster, but it will also help you scale. And when that becomes a problem, then you can start building custom solutions. So that whole kind of worldly map thing, you know, like what is the the custom thing that you need to do and use commodity wherever you can. Uh, So that's, and I think the other insight I have is is that as you you grow, uh, you, your the organization changes, the culture cha- changes, and the culture for for starting out to culture for you know having a mature product that you are trying to kind of evolve on, but you're sporting a big business on top of. They, they are two different things. You can still innovate, but not at the same kind of level and at the, with the same kind of chaotic energy that you would do a startup. So there are differences, but the spirit of innovation does not need to die. You can still innovate, albeit albeit not not as revolution, in a revolutionary way.
0: Okay. Um, I I guess you guys have covered uh, a lot of stuff. What I would say is there is a bunch of great books, uh, short and long, like the Four Steps of Epiphany book is quite long. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't recommend you to read that one. Uh, in fact, if you don't have much time, there is a thing called the Entrepreneur's Guide to, to the Customer Development Process or the Customer Development. Uh, no, the Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. It's this you know, really thin thing, explains most of the startup, most of the customer, at least the two stages, validation, a bunch of things. Uh, so check it out uh, there's also running link from the lean startup uh, series which is quite good very applied lots of you know validation stuff uh, link cameras or uh, all of this stuff there is the Ling analytics uh, book which is also found quite good if you're trying to get metrics to understand you know how the business is, is doing and so on and uh, there I, I also wanted to recommend a talk that I saw like a very long time ago. This is from the first one of the first conferences that uh, Eric Reese uh, organized when he was starting, like the lean startup movement and all this stuff. And it's a talk by a guy called David Binetti, uh, I think it's called David, David Binetti, uh, on Botisan, a platform for voters in the US. And I really like that talk because he, ex- he really explained how he took a customer development and lean startup and use that in order to navigate his business model through through all of the hypotheses and things that they had so it's very good for identifying you know people think when you know what to build what to validate like we're you know rethinking your from where you are you no know? so from the product I and mean, maybe something but it you know it does solve a problem but it may not necessarily be a business you know and and evolving all of that, so I I found it quite interesting. I would recommend anyone to to check it out. I, I if we can, we'll put the link there. But uh, David Vinetti bought this and uh, link startup something not the, the conference. I don't remember what name. Cool. Okay. So time for closing. Uh, thanks everyone for your time. If you're still <laughs> if you're still awake. <laughs> Uh remember if you wanna be part of this conversation, you, know, you can write on the chat as well, leave us comments. Uh, we're doing this on Tuesday, so normally we will tweet a little bit ahead of time what the what the topic will be, and you can join us. And if you want to be notified when we're going live, subscribe, hit the notification button, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.